Wonderful to see you all here today. Uh, as Felix said, my name is Jamie Mulvaney. I'm Associate Minister here, uh, and it's great to see you, particularly if you're here for the first time. I like Jesus a bit like the way I like Elvis. I like the guy, just some of his fans freak me out. Um, so said a comedian once, and uh, no offense if that's how you're feeling uh, right now. Uh, actually, the other day, I, so I'm, I'm a clergy, I'm vicar in the Church of England, and I was going along to a meeting, quite an important meeting, and uh, on public transport on my way there, uh, I, I didn't wear my dog collar, just because, you know, it's a bit easier, it's just blend in with the crowd. And it's basically is this, this bit of plastic that just sort of slots into to your shirt. And it was only halfway through the meeting I realised, oh my goodness, I'm not actually uh, wearing the collar. Uh, it's not exactly the, the guy in our branding wearing the T-shirt saying, not ashamed uh, of the gospel. Uh, Paul says here, uh, in the first time uh, in his letter to Timothy, do not be ashamed, do not be ashamed. And Paul's on death row, and uh, he's writing uh, to this young man, Timothy, and he's saying, don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Also, don't be ashamed of his fan club. Don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of the church. And it was wonderful to have all the baptisms this morning. Tonight, we're having 20 adults being dunked in a pool, a very cold pool, I must say, uh, out, out there on the grass uh, tonight. And uh, what, the words that we're going to say to each of these people being baptized is, do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. And that's, in effect, what they're saying. I'm not ashamed. It's what the parents this morning are saying is, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. They're saying something that's quite core about their identity and, and who they are. They're also saying something about the vision they have for their lives, the vision they have for their children's lives, and tonight, the adults, the vision that they have for their lives. And Paul is saying, don't be ashamed, don't be ashamed, because the vision is grand. The vision is grand. Michelle Obama, in her book, Becoming, she wrote, I knew God had a plan for me, but I wasn't sure what it was. I just knew that whatever it was, it would be big, that I had to be ready for it. Do you have a grand vision for your life, I wonder? Perhaps the vision is blurry or the vision is bleak, but we all have a vision for our lives. And move to that town, marry that person, take on that job, build that thing. Newsflash, whatever you're dreaming for your life, Jesus has a much, much grander plan for your life. Whatever it is that, that you're wanting for your life, is nowhere in the realm, nowhere in the vicinity of God's plan for your life. And Paul says uh, in verse nine, he says, Jesus has saved us. Jesus has saved us. Now we might not think that we need saving, but however cartoonish our culture gets, the line separating good and evil is not between goodies and baddies, heroes and villains. That line separating good and evil is right through the middle of each of our hearts. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a Russian sociologist and historian, and he spent eight years in a gulag labor camp, and he had plenty of villains around him, and yet this was his insight. And we all need saving. We need, we need saving from ourselves. The other night, uh, our central uh, heating system at home malfunctioned, and uh, I, I, I was trying to fix it, and my wife, Louisa, uh, she said to me, Jamie, stop trying to fix it, let's get an expert in. And I thought I knew better, and then I managed to wipe the entire system. 
I needed saving from myself. And, and, and what, what we do is we, we so often we take our lives into our own hands and, and we can't fix our lives ourselves. Ultimately, the problem is, is, is that we disconnect ourselves from our maker. And from this, from this, Paul says, God saved us and called us to lead a holy life. Uh, I wondered, has anyone here listened to the podcast, The Rest is History? The Rest is History, good. There's a few of us here this morning. It's not just me that's the nerd. And uh, actually, we're not alone. It's been at the top of, of the podcast charts too. And uh, Tom Holland is on the podcast. Tom Holland, uh, not Spider-Man Tom Holland, uh, but Tom Holland, the historian. Uh, he um, says that he was taken to church as a child, but the dimmer switch on, on his faith just was, was turned down at, at a very early age. And uh, more recently, I heard, him, I heard him being interviewed, and he said that uh, he has moments where he can feel that God is real, where he can feel the, the Spirit being real. And, and there's other times when he just thinks, this is a load of nonsense. And uh, he said this. He said, when I feel at least is when I hear Christians talking about Christianity as though it's just something that can be entirely blended in seamlessly with the broader pattern of the secular world, then I just despise it and think there's no point in it, and you know, like, grow up. The vision is grand, not the vision is bland. And uh, followers of Jesus are called to, to live holy lives. So there's, there's something distinctive here, to be in the world, but to not be of the world. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that, that, that followers of Jesus are any better than anyone else. Paul that makes that clear here. He says uh, in uh, he, says, he says, we're saved not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. A purpose and grace. Jesus, he has a plan for your life. That's, that's purpose. And his purpose for you is this. It's grace. And uh, grace means you can't earn it. That you have to receive this as a gift. That God's gift of forgiveness is on offer to all people of all kinds, of all backgrounds, no exceptions. God's love is for all. It's, his grace is a, is a one size fits all. And how do you receive this gift? Paul writes that this grace was given us in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time. Jesus' plan for your life and my life is so great, it's so grand. It's outside of the time continuum. I think people often worry, if I, if I follow Jesus, will that put me on the wrong side of history? But actually to follow Jesus means always to be on the right side of history. We see here in this passage in verse 10 that this grace has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So if we accept Jesus, Paul is telling us that this life, this life on planet Earth is not all there is. That you and I were made for more. We were made for an eternity. And that knowledge, that reality, it impacts the way that we live today. Verse 11, Paul says, and of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. Jesus, too, has a specific calling and a purpose on your life and my life. Did you know that you're a herald? 
I come to bring you good news. That's his plan, that's his hope for each one of us, that we would receive this good news and that we would be ones that, that share the reality of this good news, this plan that is so much greater, so much grander than our own little lives. Whatever you do during the week, wherever you go, Jesus has a grand plan for your life and that, that plan is to bring good news. The vision is grand. The vision is grand and the cost is worth it. The cost is worth it. The vision is grand. That, that bit's about confidence and the cost is worth it. This bit is about courage. Confidence and courage, they're two different things. They might sound like the same thing, but they're actually two different things. Confidence Confidence is, is knowing something. And courage is, is what you're gonna do about it. Courage is, is counting the cost and, and going for it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote that being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. The words of a man who suffered and died as a result of being part of a plot to kill Adolf Hitler. And his book translated into the English has been entitled The Cost of Discipleship. Because there's always been a cost to following Jesus. Paul tells us uh, here in, in the province of Asia, heresy is on the rise. And we see the Emperor Nero in Rome, he is, is out to destroy the church. There's someone in our uh, church here called Georgie, Georgie Mole. And uh, her great, great, great uncle uh, was Bishop of Durham. His name was Bishop Hanley Mole. And about this, this letter in the New Testament, he wrote that Christianity trembled, humanly speaking, on the verge of annihilation. Now, I think we've probably all figured out by now that Christianity hasn't been annihilated. So, so what happened? What happened? Because as, as, as timid though Timothy was, he learned to be courageous. He learned to not be ashamed of Jesus Christ. And God has a plan to bring his kingdom here on planet Earth if only you and I have the courage to not be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Courage is a value that we speak about quite a bit here at this church. And it's a value that we talk about. It's something that we aspire to live up to. And uh, so, for example, we, we never planned to have a sports ministry here at this church. But there's 46,000 people out there on the common. 46,000 people that use that for, for sports and recreation. And uh, so, so Jacob Adams, our new sports minister, he told me last week that he wants uh, the HTC logo on the new Clapham Saints playing kits. And saying, we're not ashamed. We're not ashamed of who we are. So this, is, this is something for us as a, as a church together. But it's also for us as individuals. You know, um, thank you, Wang, for the way that you, you led us in those prayers before and thinking about people who are persecuted, really persecuted for their faith uh, around the world. And, and we might not have it like that, but, but I know so many of you are courageous in the way that you follow Jesus Christ. You know, facing, facing pressure at work, discouragement. You know, and following Jesus will always mean that you're misunderstood. 
I know of, of people here that have just been excluded, excluded from family, excluded from friends because of putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Just as we see in, in verse 15, Paul says, everyone's deserted me. There's someone uh, in our church, and she's 13 years old, and um, uh, she's recently been finding um, things quite tricky at school, and she's been facing um, loneliness, and her only friend at school, her, her only friend at school was pressuring her to, to shoplift. It's a real issue for so many of our teenagers, so many um, school children, and, and she, she, she stood her ground. She stood firm, and, and we were looking last week at at, at what the Holy Spirit does in us and the way um, that he gives us self-control. As a result, as a result, she, she's felt God's power come through for her and she's felt her, her faith come alive. And tonight she's being baptized in that pool along with 19 other people. It might seem shocking, it might seem shocking when Paul writes in verse eight uh, to join in with suffering to join in with, with suffering for the gospel, to go out of our way to suffer. Corrie ten Boom, I think about Corrie ten Boom, uh, who helped Jews escape the Holocaust. And she said, yes, the cost of following Jesus may be high, but the rewards are priceless. Corrie ten Boom, she did a cost-benefit analysis. The cost is worth it. So did Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot, who died at the age of uh, 28, he was killed, um, an American missionary in Ecuador. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Or I think about some people from closer uh, to home, some missionaries um, from Cambridgeshire. Just five years ago, in a, in a remote swamp town in the Niger Delta, the GP, David Donovan, his wife Shirley, and Ian Squire were kidnapped, and Ian was killed, uh, but David and Shirley survived. And uh, the temptation, the temptation is always to, to water things down. Apparently David said, um, this GP, he said that the, the gospel, ironically, is often the first casualty in mission. But these people were not ashamed of Jesus Christ, because the cost is worth it. And uh, David had already been kidnapped. Shirley caught a deadly form of malaria. The boats, uh, their boats were stolen twice. Humidity destroyed most of their equipment and rats ate their walkie-talkies. Um, even apparently the Scottish oil, oil workers down the road thought they were mad. Uh, the former foreign correspondent for the Daily Telegraph, Nigel Freeman, he writes that had they been any regular NGO, their risk assessment officer probably would have shut them down. But before they arrived, the, the village had a, a child mortality rate of around about 45%. And as they set up a clinic, the child mortality dropped from 45% to 2%. The local witch doctors who opposed them at first actually ended up going to their clinic and to seek their treatment themselves. And the village idol keeper very important person in the community that local militants would, would go to, to to seek blessings. This, this village idol keeper told the Donovans, the, the God you serve is greater than the God I serve, and asked them around to read the Bible. The gospel is not just a, a message to preach. It's a, it's a power to, to demonstrate. 
You know, last week, last week, Felix spoke about um, fanning into flame, that the gift that God has placed within you, that, that, that flame within you. And what, what gift has God given you? Or what, what gift does God want to give you? The, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he wants to be God's power, his fire within you to, to bring about his kingdom in the face of disappointments, in the face of suffering. But there's also another part of this, isn't there, to the, the cost being worth it. It's the cost being worth it for Jesus Christ. You know, it may seem like foolishness to some, Jesus dying on the cross, but it's power to those who believe in his name. For Jesus, the cross was worth it. He scorned its shame. So great was his love. So great was his vision for you and me. The reality is in life is that we all suffer. And uh, we need to count the cost. So will we make the cost count? And finally, who do you trust? Who do you trust? Paul goes on to write in verse 13, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Jesus Christ. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Who do you trust? Actually ask God that question. I mean, he trusts you. Jesus, he, he, he wants to entrust you with this precious message of his good news, of his love, of, of his forgiveness, of his grace, of having destroyed death. He, he wants to give that message to you and me. I remember being in my uh, early 20s at Theological College and uh, we had a lecture. We had a lecture on, on the Holy Spirit and the person giving the lecture said, look, the problem is so often we, we talk about the Holy Spirit, we don't actually ask him to, to be part of our lives. And so we prayed and about half an hour later I collected myself off the floor and I, I just remember that the two words going around in my mind at the time were just, it was just a question really. It's why me? Why me? I felt young, like Timothy. I felt inadequate. And I was weighing up. Is the cost worth it? And I've got to be honest with you, since getting ordained, there has been suffering and there has been a cost. But I've also felt God's power at work, particularly through my weakness. None of us should ever be ashamed, ever afraid to, to use the gift that God has given us, what he has placed in us for him. The Holy Spirit is, Paul says, lives in us. It's available for anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. So depend in him. Depend on him. And the weaker you are, the greater the power there is. But then the, the, the question for us is, is, who do you trust? Who do you trust? Do you trust Jesus Christ? Paul says about his purpose, and he says about his purpose in, in verse 12, that is why I'm suffering. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What has Paul entrusted to God? He's entrusted himself. He's entrusted his own life 
to God. And that's what the baptism candidates will be doing today. As they, as they get dunked into the water tonight, they're saying, my life is not my own. My life dies now. And as I come out of the water, I'm risen with Jesus Christ. Jesus is my savior. I'm trusting him to pay for my sin. And Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is in the driving seat of my life. Tim Keller, Tim Keller, uh, who uh, the New York Times has described as being uh, sort of like the C.S. Lewis for our day. Uh, Tim Keller, someone I've actually met a couple of times, um, but his, his, his obsession in life has been getting uh, this message of grace into the hands, into the hearts of as many people as possible. And on Friday, he died. And uh, his son said that, that not long before he died, uh, this was his prayer. He said, I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time that God has given me. But I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. Because when you know Jesus, when you really know Jesus, that's how you can know. And that's how you can trust that the vision is grand and the cost is worth it.